Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. The Australian superannuation industry is at a pivotal moment. The former coalition government's introduction of the Your Super, Your Future legislation holds funds to account on things like transparency, fees and performance, which has resulted in monumental shifts within the industry. With a black and white performance benchmark, customers are moving away from the underperforming funds, which has resulted in fund mergers and consolidation. Today on the show, we're breaking down the goals, the implementation and the impacts of Your Super, Your Future. Joining me in the studio is Chris Glover, Senior Lecturer at the Finance Department at the UTS Business School, and Lorenzo Casavecchia, Associate Head of External Engagement of the Finance Department at the UTS Business School. Lorenzo, Chris, welcome to Think Business Futures. Thanks so much for joining me. Nice to be here. Nice to be here. Thank you. Lorenzo, let's start with you. What is the Your Future, Your Super Performance Test and why was it established? The Productivity Commission in Australia identified what it considered as a structure of flow in the Australian superannuation system in the form of the survival of or entrenched underperforming superannuation products. And so in response to the Productivity Commission's finding and recommendations, the uh, Morrison's government, so the coalition, through its uh, Your Future, Your Super legislation, imposed a requirement upon APRA, the Australian Prudential Regulation uh, Authority, to conduct an annual performance test for what is called the MySuper products, which are kind of default products for members. And so this came into effect in, uh, uh, in July 2021 and in a nutshell has three main objectives. The first objective is to make sure that uh, super fund products are stable, meaning that if uh, product members change jobs, then uh, the super fund follows them. So stapling adds an additional step for employers who must now check whether an employee has an existing stapled super fund with the uh, Australian Taxation Office before making super guarantee payments. And so... Uh, Keep in mind that as of 2021, there were 6 million extra super accounts in Australia, which resulted into something of the like of $450 million in unnecessary fees each year. The second objective is to make sure that um, uh, super funds are more transparent. And that means making sure that members could choose well-performing funds with the lower fees that meet, obviously, the long-term objectives of the members. And they did this by introducing what is now well known uh, and is called the performance test, which kind of pins super fund uh, asset allocation. So allocation to asset classes or like of fixed income, equity, private uh, infrastructure projects to predefine uh, legislative asset based indices. And so they can then separate funds into performing funds, a.k.a. past funds and underperforming funds. Uh, or fail funds. And so investors are now able to uh, observe which fund is performing, which fund is underperforming on APRA's website or the ATO's uh, Your Super Comparison tool from the 1st of July 2021. And so 
could potentially make more informed decisions. And indeed, we did find in our research that the responsiveness of investors to these bad performance has skyrocketed. So investors are now very much aware about the performance of, uh, of their super funds and they move their money accordingly. The third objective is to increase the heat on uh, super fund trustees, on directors, asking them to act in the best financial interest of their, um, you know, their members. Previously, it was only the best interest of members. Now it's best financial interest. So that means that they raise the bar. Uh, they need to be able to demonstrate their ability to uh, preserve the financial interest of their member in the event of civil proceedings. So the things is, uh, things is getting serious. Let's say this way. Mm. Chris, a lot of articles that I've read about your future, your super, describe the, the performance test as controversial. Why is it controversial? Well, the intent behind it is not controversial. Like The tests are performed on the my super products, which are the default products. That uh, So if you you start uh, start working at 18 or whatever and you, you, you get your first um, super fun, so people in those default products, people who haven't made an active decision to mm. invest in anything else. And so it's a very easy place to hide if you're underperforming because the demand side is very insensitive because you don't necessarily look at your super performance. You just forget about it. So the intent behind it was undeniable, I guess. But the actual implementation of the test, I think that's why it's controversial because before this, super funds are trying to invest the best interests of the product members, obviously, the the incentives of the super fund is to provide as good a return for the level of risk uh, as they can, the usual finance 101 incentives. But they've never been tested towards a benchmark. So it's the benchmarking that I think uh, people say are controversial in terms of the performance test, because as soon as you introduce a benchmark into evaluating that performance, you drive a wedge between what's in, perhaps in the best interests of the fund members and the incentives of the people managing the money, the, the, the fund trustees. So the, what the performance test does is it takes the return that the fund product got and compares it to a passive benchmark, which is like if they didn't make any decisions and just put it into an index, for example. Mm. And so it's it's the performance relative to that benchmark now, which is what they're actually being tested on. And so it sort of shifted the incentives of the fund trustees. And so now rather than trying to maximize return and minimize risk, they're trying to maximize return, but minimize tracking error risk, which is what we call it. It's max minimize the distance to these benchmarks. And mm. so that's fine. And there's no conflicts provided those benchmarks are adequate. And if those are not efficient or well-established, then that can be perverse incentives. One example I'll give you is that uh, the benchmarks for investing in just listed equity like stocks on the ASX. So benchmark is just a given combination of all the stocks on the market. So it's very easy for a manager of a super fund, a trustee, to invest in the same proportions as his benchmark. So they can minimize, they can basically track that benchmark. So if they're being judged on this benchmark, Rather than trying to maximize return, minimize risk, they're trying to minimize the f the probability of failing the test. Mm. Because the, if they fail for the first year, they have to send a letter to all of their uh, investors and to say that we didn't do very well, we underperformed. And then if they fail for a second year, they're not allowed to take any new members in. So there's very severe consequences to failing this test. And so that's put very strong incentives to try to not fail the test. So those funds that pass the test by miles 
they also have incentives to be more like the benchmark because they want to lock in that performance over like that, that so they're not going to fail in the future so they change their behavior in terms of being less active and hugging the benchmark whereas those that, that actually failed to test the first year they have incentives to increase the risk to try to gamble for resurrection as we call it uh, it's like if you're losing at the casino you, you take more bigger bets to try to leave the casino having recouped the losses so there's this this change in the the testers introduced these incentives which is what what I think they mean by being controversial yeah it's it's fascinating and yeah you you bring up a lot of good points there Chris Lorenzo let's flesh out a little bit more about the impact on the investment strategies of different funds now it seems to me that the sort of the north star the guidance of all funds is the best performance outcomes for the funds members yeah. in the case of funds that are performing really well do these benchmarks and and does this in inverted commas controversial performance test have a negative impact on this performance and, and, and the best outcomes for members? Well, I mean, this is probably the reason why the new assistant treasurer and minister for financial services, Stephen Jones, has asked the treasury to review the Your Future Your Super legislation, uh, citing potential perverse and unintended outcomes of the, this legislation. Mm. Uh, I mean, there is clear evidence, well, anecdotal evidence that the your future, your super legislation has the potential to discourage uh, certain investment decisions in uh, significant uh, national uh, uh, infrastructure projects and uh, property, commercial and residential. Uh, and so, yes, there has been uh, some anecdotal evidence. So to be honest, there was some evidence even prior to the introduction of the legislation, the industry has been fiercely highlighting the risk that indeed uh, funds might become, as Chris was saying, more uh, jaded, more indexed. And so uh, shy away from investing into uh, PPP, public-private projects, uh, which are essentially global and local uh, infrastructure investment. And we did find in our um, study, we, we did find some clear evidence that indeed, um, you know, funds that, as you were saying, are classified as performing, meaning that they, those benchmarks, uh, they have lowered their uh, allocation, their percentage allocation to strategic assets such as infrastructure. They lowered the investment in property. They lowered the investment in uh, unlisted equity. So all these allocations have uh, a clear signal that funds are indeed moving away from assets that has uh, that have very high tracking error, meaning that in the legislative benchmarks that APRA has decided to, uh, to, to adopt in the performance test, they don't have a clear, efficient benchmark to measure that performance. And so in order to uh, sort of bank on their previous performance test in order to minimize the risk of failing the test and then have a massive reputational stigma attached to them, they decided to simply move away from those assets in hordes. So there is a very clear economically and statistically uh, significant shift away from, from these assets, which are also the assets that the government would like them to invest in. And mm. this is now a sort of issue. You know, they opened the Pandora box and now it's very once you, once the genie is out of the bottle, it's very difficult to put it back in because now they are trying to fix this performance test uh, in a situation where uh, you know it's not very very easy to find an efficient benchmark to measure the performance as a measuring tape of the performance of these of these super funds. 
Uh, and so in absence of these more efficient benchmark for infrastructure projects, for, for, for property, for more generally unlisted equity, you are now left with a performance test that uh, will continue, if not uh, adjusted and fixed, will continue to discourage this investment into in nationally uh, relevant and strategically important projects. Mm, okay. Chris, in what ways has the legislation improved the industry or you know, the objectives of this legislation been accomplished to our knowledge so far? Uh, yes. Yeah, so there was four facets to the regulation. I mean, the stapling is definite. So one of them was the stapling mm. and trying to cut down on multiple accounts of, of, of users. Also, another thing that we have perhaps, perhaps haven't said uh, in too much detail is, is about the fees charged by these funds. So it's not just about the performance. So one of the intents was also to sort of try to reduce the fees uh, or at least pay overcharging for the fees because you get what you paid for. I mean, index funds, the passive investments doesn't cost a lot because you're not making active decisions. And so... Uh, but to actually try to outperform the market, to beat the market, you should be charging a higher fee. So it's not just putting fees down to the lowest possible. That's incentivizing you to just be a passive investor, which might be good. But also, uh, as Lorenzo was saying about these infrastructure project projects that only large funds like super funds can actually take on because of the, the, the massive amounts of money mm-hmm. involved and the big pool of money that sort of diversifies away the risk. So governments want super funds to invest in these things and perhaps super funds do too but the issue as we described before is that because there's no clear benchmark to those types of assets then there's a disincentive to invest in them so that's what that's one thing but the the good side of it as i said is the stapling and fees have come down subsequently from this however it's not clear to us whether it's it's because of people charging egregiously high fees have uh, cut back on that or whether they can charge less because they're not actually doing much, doing as much as they were doing before in terms of active uh, decision-making. Another thing about the regulation was to sort of hold the trustees to account for the performance that they deliver, but also to sort of increase engagement in the super industry, especially amongst these default product people who don't necessarily traditionally have uh, mm. much interest. And they, what the government's also done is to have uh, a your super, it's called, and it's probably interesting uh, for your listeners that uh, you can go on the ATO website and the performance of all the funds that have been tested is up there. Their average uh, eight-year return, their average fees, whether they passed or failed the fund. And so when the super fund uh, members got these letters from the super funds that failed and said, your, your fund has been underperforming, please go to this your super website and see how others compare. So that's definitely been uh, a positive. It's increased engagement, uh, as Lorenzo said before. The sensitivity of investors to the performance has definitely increased, uh, which is always a good thing in an asset market, that more information is always good about how to uh, use that information to, to seek uh, better returns. So mm. I think that's, those are, so there are definitely some good things from the regulation, the performance they, they test. Yeah. Also, go to the APRAS, so the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority's website, where they will find two uh, heat maps uh, that uh, one for my super or default products, as they were described previously by Chris, 
and also one for the choice, the non-default non products, those that um, where the uh, members make an active decision in terms of uh, which fund that they want to invest in, but also what kind of investment strategy they would like to have in their portfolio. And so every member can really uh, consult APRA's website and compare uh, his or her fund to other product offerings out there. And also remember that it was also on the ATO's comparison tool uh, um, website, there is a link to the uh, products, my super product dashboard, which is publicly available where they can collect additional information on uh, performance, risk, which is very important. Risk is one of the things that, uh, you know, the legislation doesn't capture very, uh, very well across funds and fees um you know so all this information is also available on fund website and so they can uh, get a much better uh you know view of what these fund their funds have been doing and so it's very important that members get informed about what their long-term retirement income is invested in and this is really important uh because it makes their decision more informed and so it drives better competition uh, among super funds mm. Let's talk a little bit about the review and 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 looking over the impacts so far of your future, your super. Now, Lorenzo, what we've established is that essentially there's there's sort of a, a pass fail that people can can look at, and there's these hugely strict consequences for funds to have to write a letter to their members saying we failed we failed the performance test. I mean that's a that's a very black and white thing to have to send to your members. Is potentially such a black and white benchmark too strict? Can there be a more nuanced approach where it's a rating out of five stars or a, a, a score out of a hundred or something like that? Is a pass or fail, you know, approach a little bit too too difficult? Uh, I believe that in addition to it being probably too strict, particularly for uh, retirement savings for these sort of uh, tests. I think a more important issue is whether that test is good in terms of what it's trying to achieve. And, uh, and I believe that one possible way to sort of provide a more informed to metric of the performance of the fund is not just a link that performance test one metric, but use maybe multiple performance metrics in addition to, uh, let's say, one solution fits all performance test at APRA. So rather than saying, okay, this fund failed, this fund did not fail, based on only one, you know, metric of performance, which is what currently APRA is, uh, is doing, uh, APRA can provide investors with multiple metrics. And if all those metrics sort of uh, uh, point in the same direction that a fund is underperforming, then uh, maybe, you know, uh, the risk of... Uh, that performance being the result of noise rather than the lack of skill of that fund uh, is less of an issue, right? So mm. you provide a more, a much clearer signal of which fund is performing, which fund is underperforming. Briefly, another option that has been suggested in the industry is, in a, is to provide also not just a quantitative metric of performance or quality of the fund, but also a qualitative metric. So for instance, in the performance test, there is no reference to the quality of the governance of the fund. What we In our research, we found something extremely worrying, that is the a lot of these funds are uh, experiencing a worsening in their funding ratios. Uh, what that means is that with the aging population in Australia, the benefits, so essentially the cash outflows that go to uh, retirees, 
it's it's much higher than the contribution that come in from uh, product members during their accumulation phase. And so uh, progressively, a lot of funds are now facing liquidity issues, meaning that they they have an imbalance between what comes in in terms of contribution, cash inflows, and what goes out to rate raise during the mm. decumulation phase. And so that is also an important aspect because we show in our research at the finance department that funding ratios is in a very important determinant of the ability of super funds to invest in high return assets such as infrastructure, property. And so if a fund is really unbalanced towards the decumulation phase, uh, and doesn't have enough contribution, then it faces really a, an asset liability mismatch, a, a little bit like banks. And so it might not be able to invest in assets that can generate very high long-term returns. Together with, we also uh, suggested in our submission to use the metrics that are based on the holdings of the fund to really pin their performance more directly to what they are investing in. All these sort of improvements can really be beneficial to sort of align, and this is the important thing here, they, the super funds and the regulator, and they need to work together to make sure that the interest of the super funds, the interest of the trustee, the, and the interest of members are all aligned. Because at the moment, the performance test has caused a disalignment between the interest of the super funds, which is let's not fail this test by any means, and the interest of shareholder, which is let's make, let's, let's make sure that we invest in super funds that generate better performance. These two objectives now are not on the same scale. Mm. And, and I think that that's exactly right. That this very strict penalty to fail. I mean, it's a pass or a fail. So just to add to what Lorenzo said, in the first year they did this back in 2021, the first time they did the test, 80 funds were tested and 13 failed. So those 13 that failed had to send these letters. And now 10 of those have merged. They don't exist anymore. They're, they've merged or in the process of merging because the impact of that is so harsh. The other thing I was going to say is that also, yeah, the one metric, what the PESO failed based on the performance, but also based on the fees. So the, the measure that they use is the relative performance of the portfolio to the benchmark. And then there's some component about the relative fees relative to their peers. Mm. So the, the the one measure that they use to the threat to make the threshold it has these two components and so uh, a fund could have failed because they got unlucky on their assets but they actually had very low fees relative to their pits but they still failed because they just got unlucky uh, because that's what Lorenzo was saying about the the estimation of the performance there's always some error it's very difficult and it's well known in uh, you know performance evaluation testing look versus skill you know if you have enough people doing making bets on stocks, you're going to get someone who's at the top, always going to get someone at the top. Were they skillful? Were they lucky? It's very hard to extract that signal from all of the noise. And so performance evaluation is a very tricky thing to do. And so it could be that, you know, you just got unlucky and failed the test. So providing more information is probably a good good bet than uh, multiple metrics like uh, Lorenzo suggests, I think is a good idea. Then that perhaps maybe doesn't, the impact of this is maybe not so you know, you just get a letter saying, I just can't imagine yeah. what people think when they get those letters <laughs> Absolutely. saying, you get that, what do you do? You just say, well, you either just put your head in the sand even more or you you switch it and then forget. So it's not clear for investors what to do, but they've got more information, so they do something. But mm. actually, you incur fees when you switch your, your super fund. So that's it's not clear whether that's the, it's good to, to switch unless the fund really is underperforming. 
If it was mm. just pash, it was just a a bad run of events that caused this, and then the fund was going to do well afterwards. Maybe you should have stayed. Oh, it's, it's not clear. Um, so all of these issues happening. Um, so. mm, lots happening. Yeah. Now, we'll, we'll finish off something you mentioned there, Chris, was the fact that the failures of uh, a, f- a few funds or a number of funds to meet the performance benchmark uh, and then to you know subsequently have to send these letters off to their members has led to lots of mergers in the industry, which is a trend that we've seen over the last 10 years or something. To finish off for us, Lorenzo, do you want to just explain a little bit about the consolidation of superannuation, how your future, your super relates and what we might see moving into the future? This was one of the primary objectives of the uh, YFYS legislation. Instead of uh, really pushing for uh, a consolidation, between 2011 to 2016, uh, we found uh, there were 30 large mergers uh, in the industry. Between 2017 and 2019, 17 large mergers. After the regulation, about 20 and several more close to being announced. So there has been a significant acceleration in the pace of mergers between funds, uh, to the point that some people now believe that by 2040, we might end up with three mega funds with uh, assets under management greater than uh, half a trillion dollar and another 10 or so with over $250 billion. So a significant degree of consolidation there. So this is not just an Australian trend. Uh, The United Kingdom is pulling the investment of its local pension scheme. The Netherlands mm-hmm. has already seen the number of its funds by, uh, to, to fall by about 70%, 7-0. And so there are also other parts in Europe where governments are thinking about merging smaller pension schemes into larger ones. Why? Because the pension system faces a very tough road ahead. Economic growth is slowing. Uh, obviously, it's pulling down return. Geopolitical uncertainty is uh, at uh, all-time maximum. Uh, the funding level, as I was saying previously, has been deteriorating. So the funds are now shifted towards decumulation and less so uh, uh, accumulation. Uh, this, this has sharpened the focus of uh, regulators and politicians on achieving greater efficiency and effectiveness for the industry. And so the consolidation via merger is obviously appealing, bring smaller funds together and um, uh, reap the benefits of scale across the entire organization. But it's not necessarily clear whether mergers can really achieve the synergies through through consolidation. So in other words, it's not clear yet whether economies of scales from bigger funds automatically translate into economies of consolidation. Mm -hmm. And that is because politics can interfere with the uh, process of value creation uh, among merger entities. It's not necessarily clear that a larger funds necessarily uh, has a better performance because, say, it can invest in, uh, uh, say, into private equity uh, or in private markets. So uh, it's definitely that we found that there is some evidence in terms of uh, lower fees from greater scale when scale is measured in terms of number of members, not assets. But I mean, the benefits are not really dramatic. Uh, so we'll uh, we aim to publish some of these results in a working paper and then uh, possibly in a journal over the next few months. 
Okay. Well, there is so much movement happening at the moment um, with this with this legislation, and obviously it's under review at the moment. So we'll see what 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 happens with it and how how it tweaks and changes. And yeah, I mean, looking at three sort of mega funds in Australia is a bit of a new frontier. That's all we have time for today. Chris Lorenzo, thanks so much for joining me on Think Business Futures. It's been fun. Thanks. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guests, Lorenzo Casavecchia and Chris Glover. You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week. And please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.